Hey, what's up? It's Ryan Rosillo for the Ryan Rosillo Podcast. Here is the plan today. We're going to do NFL Sleepers with Danny Kelly from the Ringer Fantasy Show. And we're also going to talk with Royce Young uh, about the Thunder and their Game 6 win. So we'll do a little life advice at the end. We're also going to drop mysteriously in one Madden code for EA's Madden. I have no idea how that's going to work out. I'm just going to put the code in there, and you're going to find it. And one of you is going to get a free download. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. You want to check in with Kyle real quick. What's up, Kyle? What's up, dude? I wish I knew um, that before I bought Madden, but that's great. I'm happy for whoever gets the code. Why are you assuming I'd give you a code? Well, I guess now I know it's not safe to assume. Right. Anyway, good morning. I was Ryan. afraid. Yeah, good morning. I was afraid if I did the code <laughs> that you were just going to use it and that <laughs> I, I would never I'm know. Funny. Yeah. You would just <laughs> give the code to one of your buddies back home or something. And then. Every every show, if I drop a code in there, <laughs> the only people getting them are going to be associated with Kyle. So there is a fear there, uh, but you know we're just going to have to trust each other. We're just going to have to trust each other here a little bit. Okay, let's let's talk some hoops first, though, before we do the rest of the show. Uh, and it's not even like an official open open. I know some of you are probably thinking I might be doing some kind of victory lap here after the Thunder beat the Rockets in Game Six. Everybody's well aware of my position on Chris Paul and the Rockets. Um, but I'm not because the way that these things work historically, this is the way history works, is that if Houston, who is fully capable of of running OKC out of the building in game seven, if that happens, then game six doesn't count. It does, but it doesn't. It doesn't get to count in arguments. It doesn't matter, even though we saw some real stuff. We saw stuff that I've been yelling about for years about who Chris Paul is and who some other guys may not be. But none of it matters. And that's the thing about these sports arguments that go on forever and people can make careers out of them and why I just sometimes will shrug and go, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, because if you, especially if you want to be a hater on a TV show or a radio show or whatever, it, more often than not, most of these guys are going to lose games. And then you can just point to the loss. And even if a person played great, perfect basketball and uh, makes the right play on the last second shot and that team loses, then you get to just say that that guy sucks and he's a bum and he can't get out of the playoffs. Now, Chris Paul's resume in the playoffs, I, I cannot, you know, I can't defend it. It's it's not what I wish it were. Uh, there are certainly excuses in there with the injuries, whether it was his injuries or a teammate's injuries. But you know what? It's uh, it's it's not good. So I'm not going to sit here and, and defend it the whole time. But I'm just always going to defend Chris Paul. And I'll admit, okay, so you go halftime. Rockets up 51-48. Rockets were abysmal from three. They'd taken only six free throws, although Thunder hadn't taken a ton, although it was a very physical, chippy game very early on. Uh, Dort had three fouls, so he wasn't around early, so he thought it was Harden going to go off. Um, but the big number there, the Rockets, bad shooting and minus seven in the rebounds, they're up three. And I'm kind of wondering where Chris Paul was. I had a moment where, and I'm not big, this guy isn't right, although we know the rule now in today's NBA is that anybody that doesn't look right means he's hurt. Um, and they'll let us know or their personal beat reporter will tell us how hurt they are after they are eliminated or they put ice or bandages or cast all over themselves. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? Anyway, uh, I would say that um, with with Paul, I thought there was a slight chance. And again, I don't do this very often, but I was I text a couple of people. I go, hey, is something wrong with Chris Paul? Because I remember the way he left game five. He walked off kind of weird right as he got subbed out around the 10 minute mark when it was about to be garbage time. And he got bumped into I don't know if it was Westbrook. Um, but he got bumped into and he kind of walked back a little bit weird. And I thought he was floating way too much. And you could say, oh, no, he was letting the game kind of come to him. No, he was he was like a non-participant at some point. And I just remember writing down going, I'm surprised to see Chris Paul. Like, why is he letting this happen? Why would Chris Paul let this happen to his team? And he had two drives 
in the second quarter when I went, okay, well, at least physically I know he looks like he's good. So let's see what happens. Now, I want to go all the way to the 450 mark of this game. It was 94-92. Harden's in the corner. He hits an impossible Harden three, and it's 97-92. And this is kind of where all hell breaks loose in this game. There's a shrewder charge on Tucker where Tucker already was getting ready to flop um, before he even got hit. He was projectiling self backwards, and he Schroeder hadn't even bumped into him yet. But that play is so fast, and considering his feet look good, I'm not surprised that he uh, he got the charge there on Schroeder. And then right after that, Chris Paul got a tech, and Harden hits the tech. So it's 98-92. Then Harden misses a three. I'm going to pay attention to that. That's a Harden position where he actually had the ball. Chris Paul starts to light it up here. He gets Covington. He was hunting out Covington in the switch. He hits a three in Covington's grill. It's a 14-1 run by Houston. That one ends, so it's now 98-95. Because remember, I think OKC was up 88-80, and then Houston went on this tear. Um, Westbrook misses a layup that was pretty forced, but it wasn't a terrible, terrible look. And now I'm starting to think, okay, here we go. The Westbrook chop down a tree with your hands move. You know, like I'm just going to what? Hey, is there a better tool to use? Don't care. Brute force with everything. It has had to be bizarre for Thunder fans, by the way. I didn't see a lot of Thunder fans going, you know, I like Westbrook, though, because I just love how passionate he is. I didn't I didn't see that a ton from Thunder fans that had done that for years when Westbrook would have a bad close to a playoff game. Okay. Um, Gallinari got blocked. He thought he was getting a foul. He should have gone in for the contact. He didn't. He got blocked. Then Chris Paul gets the ball. He gets Covington in a switch. This shot at 254 that ties it at 98-98 is just filthy. And Covington's got all the size in the world on him. And Covington's afraid to go out too far, though, because a smaller guard like Paul and that handle, the closer you get out on them, it's easier actually to go around you because you can't cut off the angle as much. But Covington's still getting his hand up, and Paul is just getting these shots off. Those two threes where Paul's like, okay, everybody, Chris Paul time. It was just, that's the stuff I love about this guy. All right, Harden throws a pass. This this possession is totally forgotten. He drives. They build a bit of a wall against him, and he throws an absolute garbage pass to the corner, which Paul read the entire time, and then he steals it. Um, that led to a missed layup. Eric Gordon missed transition three. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I'm starting to think may not be able to pass the basketball at all. I thought he could. At least in these higher pressure moments, it's not happening. He throws it out of bounds, but it was off Houston. It actually deflected and hit Eric Gordon's face, and I thought Gordon was going to ask for a foul call on the ball, but he didn't get it. Danilo misses a three, and now here we go. Westbrook turnover where he just got stripped. Is out of his hands. That led to that weird break where Adams missed the layup. It was unbelievable defense by P.J. Tucker to get back and contest that. Uh, it was a poorly executed transition. Um, you could just see everything's so tight now. You're about to be eliminated if you can't get this done. And the Thunder screwed up a couple different possessions there in transition. It was like two. Westbrook makes a layup to make it 198. Dennis comes back the other way, ties it up 100 apiece. Now Westbrook is running the point again after he just turned the ball over. Harden is getting fronted by Shea, and he just doesn't get clear. Now, some argue that 
this was the play. It was for a screen for Westbrook, who then took the ball and airballed it, straight up airballed it. Um, but Harden didn't do anything. Like Harden got got fronted and was like, you know what? I'm good. I guess I'm not in this play. Westbrook pulls up airballs. And the funny thing is that Harden actually, because everybody's arguing about how exhausted he is, made an incredible play to save the ball because Shea Gill just stopped playing basketball and lost Harden. So he just let him go right through. Harden goes through four guys and throws it off at Danilo, and they keep the possession. So that leads to Harden, who travels all over the place on this missed shot clock three. So that's the second shot that Harden's taken since 450 during this entire run of possessions that I've talked about. And then the one that everybody's pointing to, Westbrook brings it up and just straight up throws it out of bounds. And then Chris Paul's fouled, hits the free throws. And then there's a heave there. Harden took two shots in the last 450 when you take out the last second heave when it had nothing to do with the game. Westbrook was bringing the ball up. Uh, Harden looked a little heavier when he came back to the bubble, but we don't really worry about him as much because that offense, you don't have to move. Uh, Harden off the ball is, I know people have argued, well, look, only Rockets people have argued it, that it's actually this thing because he wants to keep everybody stretched, the whole thing. Um, It's not, it wasn't great. And maybe it was just because he was tired, but you know what? You can't, you can't choose to be tired in that moment. But again, I'm not going to do this big Harden's bad in some of these games that I've already done. Uh, Westbrook, like that was the least surprising Westbrook stuff. You always know, rusty. He was coming back. Physically, he looks fine. He's throwing the ball to everybody. I mean, not everybody. He was throwing it all over the place. So yeah, he's a little bit rusty. But there, there's no, I told you so until the Thunder win game seven. And I don't even know if that's going to happen. So last little thing. Just on Kawhi Leonard, whatever we say about Kawhi as a player, his status, and my obsession, because we all do it, and it's it's a fun thing to be obsessed about it, but like, who's the best? Who's the best? And I'm not doing this just because Milwaukee lost to Miami in game one, and Jimmy Butler, my God, some of these performances were seen from some of these players. But we really, even though Simmons and I were doing that whole thing where it was, we don't really do this enough, or this doesn't get mentioned enough. We were just basically pointing out that everyone's agreed on all of this stuff. But whatever we say about Kawhi isn't enough. Like These are his numbers right now. 33, 10, and 5. His actually three-point shooting is the only time in the playoffs so far that, that it hasn't been amazing. I mean, look at, look at what he shot from three for his career in the playoffs. 45%, 39%. These are for like full playoff years. 42%, 42%, 44%, 46%. The last year he was in San Antonio. It was only 12 games. but um, And then with Toronto, higher volume, going over 24 games, 38%. He's, that's the only bad number is that one right now. Uh, his free throw percentage, he's at 85%, whereas Giannis is missing everything in that game against Miami, where you know the Miami-Milwaukee thing, I could do a little bit of a tangent, say, ah, oh, Milwaukee, you know, that offense, and I'm going to do some more work on this for Thursday's pod, but... You know, it looks like it's a little bit more of a grind for these guys. If they were even with free throws, Milwaukee probably wins that game, but they missed a bunch of free throws. So I'm trying not to freak out too much about adjustments and all this different stuff, but you can freak out about Giannis because you can see, especially when he had a late miss on the front end of one, he was really short. You're like, oh, it's in his head now. He's thinking about this. And trust me, that is the worst. It is the worst place to be as somebody shooting free throws in a game. So 
Uh, Kawhi doesn't miss his free throws. I mean, the, the numbers are nuts. So again, his average is 33, 10, and 5 this year. Last year, 31, 9, and 4. The year before that with the Spurs, 28, 8, and 5. The year before that, 23, 6, and 3. The crazy thing is the year they won the title, I mean, the first year he was with San Antonio, he was only averaging like 13, but nine boards. The next year it was 14 and seven boards, no real assist. He was only taking about 10 shots per game. So that's when they were in the back-to-back finals against the Heat. So I think we all understand how special Kawhi is, but when you see how automatic he is in the playoffs, how unstoppable he is, and the fact that we're putting up four years of if we go advanced numbers, PER 32, 28, 31.5, 29, arguably like some of the best numbers you could see from a player for an entire season, and that's four straight from Kawhi. And I guess, you know, look, PR, take take whatever number you want to put out there. These this guy's automatic all of the time, and the teams always win. And it makes me think of every time I say out loud, like, yeah, Giannis is the best player. I go, why do I keep saying that? So I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm just not. And I'm not doing it just because of game one, because that would be stupid. I think you guys know me well enough uh, that that's not the reason. But I, you just sit there and watch Kawhi close out a basketball game, and you go, wait, this is, this is like way more automatic and trustworthy, and I know exactly what it is compared to like the spectacular thing that Giannis is when it's great. It's unbelievable. But I, I'm still not 100% sure of what the hell it is at the end of a big-time playoff game. And with Kawhi, it's like, oh, you mean the guy with two rings? And those four years of numbers? So I'm just a daily reminder to myself, I'm going to stop saying Giannis is better than Kawhi. Because I just don't think, I think he's more he's more physically impressive. I think it's, like I said, it's more spectacular. We're such visual people. Like Kawhi, if he were just, I mean, he threw down a sick dunk against the, the Mavs. And it's like, oh, wow, look at that. It's like, no, no, he can do all of those things too. But he just doesn't need to. Because that, beat the hell out of you, pull-up game, double me, I'll read it, throw a pass. It's nuts, and he's a 10 times better shooter. So, I don't know. I just feel like I had this revelation now where none of us should say Giannis is better than he is. So there you go. Table it that way. Before we get to Royce Young and talk a little uh, Rockets Thunder, as the original light beer, oh yes, Miller Light has always been there to bring people together through Miller Time. But in a world where you can't always be with your people, Miller Time might be a moment on a Zoom call, a quick porch beer with your neighbors, or masking up for a socially distant hangout outside. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Right now, enjoying a Miller Light with friends looks different for everyone, but staying connected is just as important. Uh, I find myself enjoying a little Miller time by writing long letters now, handwritten cursive. I'll crack a Miller light open. I'll dip the fountain pen in and I'll just start banging out long form. And I got to tell you, I miss cursive. From online happy hours to socially distanced picnics and every 500-piece puzzle in between, we're enjoying new ways of spending time with our friends. Um, I got to tell you, I when my Miller Lite package showed up, I was like, where's the boat, right? Because whenever I see uh, Miller Lite, I feel like I always see a boat. I, I'd love to get into the boat scene, but you know what they say about boats, Kyle? I got a couple good saying about boats. Which one are you referring Go- to? Well, go ahead. I'd love to hear yours now. I didn't know you had well, any I mean, for me. Now I'm excited. Best, the best best boat is a friend's boat, right? Yep, I've heard that one. And then what's the other one? Uh, the 
the two best days when you get a boat is the day you buy it, the day you sell it. Is yeah. there another one I don't yeah. know about? Because I just keep recycling those two. I think there's one that's like a boat is just a hole that you throw money into. I'm like, that doesn't seem very nice to boats. No. You know? Seems a little gross, actually. I got to tell you, everybody I see with a boat seems to be having a pretty good time. I can understand the mooring and the slips and then, you know, certain places where you got to take it out of the water, depending on your climate. But I see a lot of people smiling. Yeah, I was talking about Titus. And he was just saying, if you have to ask about the price of stuff involved with the boat, maybe it's not for you. Like if you're if you're wondering what the actual price is, maybe it's not maybe it's not for you. Yeah, I think the problem is based on research is if you just end up with the wrong boat, then it's a nightmare. And you're, you know, you're redoing your tranny, you're boring out the the valves. You, you know, that's not that's not my expertise. If you can. and then barnacles, All right. you know. Barnacles. Barnacles are a huge problem. <laughs> Barnacles, I would think, are, are a little bit easier to deal with than uh, your fuel line. Word. You know, there you go. Miller Lite, great taste, only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this summer. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com forward slash RR and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Okay, I'm looking forward to this because this has to be a little surreal for him. For ESPN.com, NBA writer, been there a long time, has covered the Thunder primarily uh, over the years, and it is Royce Young. You can follow him at Royce Young. How surreal was the end of that to to see it from the vantage point of a team that you'd covered, a player you'd covered so long in Westbrook, and to have the Thunder win with Westbrook? Look, I, I you and I have talked about it off the air a ton, and I know he's coming back from stuff, but like that's the part of him that scares me it's always scared me it's led to all these thunder arguments i've had over the years but that had to be really weird for you yeah it's like um it's this weird thing ryan where you couldn't help but feel a little sorry for him (laughs) you know like because you know i'm I'm sure for westbrook with him missing the first four games of the series that you know he definitely wanted to kind of have that moment and it would have you know he, he there's no like animosity between him and the thunder necessarily but like He's, you know, as competitive as anybody that we know. And for him to put the Thunder out and send them home from the bubble, I think Russell would have enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help but kind of feel bad for him because it, it it wasn't just like the fact that he turned it over. I mean, to me, Ryan, those weren't like your standard crunch time bad decisions from Westbrook. Those were just like awful passes. Like just didn't – what he was throwing the ball just straight out of bounds. You know, it wasn't like – oh, that was a bad shot selection, or he was a little out of control. Man, he was just out of sorts. And, you know, from covering him for as long as I have, I've seen him, Ryan, when he when he misses time, he loses his rhythm, and he has a hard time getting it back. And I've seen him in warm-ups. I remember a game in Oakland. He had missed some time. I think he uh, was coming back from one of his knee scopes, and he missed most of the training camp. And I watched him in a warm-up, Ryan, and he, he probably airballed 10 shots because he is somebody that really just has to finally tune himself. And – to me, that's what I was watching in, in game six is a guy that's just completely out of rhythm. And um, while it was, you know, it was kind of surreal to see like the contrast of Chris Paul, who engineers nothing but winning possessions in clutch time versus Russell Westbrook, who embraces the moment, desperately wants to win, is not afraid of anything, but makes bad decisions in crunch time. That, uh, that contrast was pretty striking. 
Hey, when Paul did his post game, he was he was feeling it, and he should have yeah. been after hitting those two threes against Covington. But he basically said, like, some people are built for this, some people aren't. A lot of people took that as, okay, wait a minute, is he who's he? He's taking a shot at somebody. Is he taking a shot at Harden, or is he taking a shot at Westbrook? How did you see that? I saw more as a Harden comment personally because, yeah. I, I, you know, Chris and Russ are, are friends. You know that th- there's no real beef there between those two guys. No history. And look, Russell's built for that moment. He just fails, and he's and he's willing to fail. <laughs> like he's he he is a guy that absolutely embraces like the high pressure, high anxiety moments. Um, you know, uh, you know, you've seen it, Ryan. Some of the some of the possessions with Harden. You know, he he essentially kind of ran from the basketball, and you know he didn't. You know the Thunder were clearly trying to deny the ball from him. They, it's that that was something that's pretty striking, Ryan. Is that the Thunder clearly wanted the ball in Westbrook's hands during the during the the final minutes of that game. Um, but I, I saw it as Chris Paul was making a not so subtle comment about James Harden, and that you know he's somebody that makes great decisions, is an excellent crunch time player when he's aggressive and has the ball. But whether it was him getting gas down the stretch his conditioning or or you know so much load that he's had on him for, throughout the game or it's just that he he looked at Westbrook and said like that guy ain't afraid to do it I'll let him do it that's how I that's how I personally interpreted what Chris said yeah there was the the possession was it game three where they Harden was it half court was it the mid court and they like double teamed him almost like they were blocking yeah. him with a tight end and a tackle and then Harden's like, all right, well, whatever. Like, I'm I'm not going to do anything, and it's going to be up to you guys to to work the mismatch. And it was look, there wasn't very much time left. But then there was the play on the Westbrook um, air ball where Shea fronted Harden, and it, you could just see like it, it, it's it's very clear. I, I'm wondering if you've heard anything from the Thunder that if you can do something to mess with Harden off the ball, you know he's going to bail on the possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I see. Have you heard anything yeah. that kind of confirms that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that that's necessarily like game plan strategy or is it, it's just kind of the book on Harden, right? Like he's he's not somebody that like fights for the ball when it's denied from him um, a lot of times. And you, know, you see a guy like Steph Curry, and I know that's not a fair comparison, but like you deny Steph Curry the ball, he's going to run through three more screens to go get it. And that's, look, that's not Houston's offense necessarily. That's asking Harden, I think, to do things that are outside of his comfort zone. But like, you know, I know Ryan, we, everybody, all of us media people, fans, we all get caught up in like these narratives about stars and like, you got to want the ball in those moments. Yeah. But like, there is something to be said for the fact that like, you know, I'm sure Harden wanted the ball, but he wasn't willing to fight to get it, you know? And, and, you know, look, I, I think the Thunder know James Harden pretty well from either having him on the team or they just played against him a ton. And when Harden has it, you know, he's, he's a monster with it. But he can't score if he doesn't have it. And so, you know, I, I think the Thunder were completely comfortable with, A, putting the ball in Westbrook's hands because his decision-making in crunch time is questionable at best, or B, just like letting the ball go to Daniel House and letting him play, you know, four on three. And that's that's no big deal for them either. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, hey, Paul, he had – I almost sent you a note because I would sent it to a couple other people. I'm not a big is-this-guy-hurt guy or is this guy right because we do it way too much now um but i thought paul kind of walked off a little weird at the end of game five when it was garbage mm-hmm. time it went over in the beginning of the podcast and then to see him in the first half where you could see Dort didn't want to shoot as much but then he actually started shooting he actually hit a couple so it wasn't as disastrous at game five i still 
you know, you could talk about running your offense and taking the shots that's there, but Lou Dort taking nine shots in the first quarter of a playoff game to me is is unex- it's just you can't you then do something different. Okay. Like don't tell me that that's the offense. And Ferguson had a couple that were just bad looks. I think there's even times with Shea who's having some problems passing. And then even Schroeder, who I know Paul loves. Like I don't, I don't trust him. I don't trust anyone the way I trust Chris Paul of of the ten yeah. players that are out there. I was kind of surprised to see him be apprehensive and let some of the possessions happen around him, and then he turned back into the guy that I've always been arguing about the whole time. Uh, what can you make? Maybe you see it differently, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. what do you make of kind of his his approach to two hours? Yeah, you know, he obviously Ryan he takes such a. He puts such a priority on making sure that it's not his show. And, you know, even Billy Donovan said it after game six, that there's a lot of times that he wishes he would shoot more. And there's, there's players on every Chris Paul team, not just the Thunder, but the Rockets, the Clippers. Doc Rivers used to say it all the time. of like, I wish he would shoot more. I wish he would be more aggressive. But, like, that's sort of like the, the genius of Chris Paul to a lot of people is that, like, he's very willing to, you know, maybe be a little bit passive in, in appearance. Um, to favor what he views as like a more efficient possession. And there are times, look, where he he does, I think, kind of push the button to want to take it over a little bit. I thought a huge moment in the series was game four when the Rockets started out eight of eight for three um, to start the third quarter. And Chris Paul was just kind of quietly chipping away, hitting mid-range shots. He, he kind of sensed that moment and was like, I need, to, I need to sort of put my stamp back on this game and not let this thing get out of hand. Um, but, like, look, I, I think some credit needs to go to the Rockets, too. They, their switch everything defense is really kind of throwing a wrench in the way I think Chris Paul – Their defense in game five was was unbelievable. I, yeah. Re- yeah, I'm sorry. Like, it, it needs to be brought up because it's a team that we were like, hey, defense – like, defense is never really the issue with these guys. It may be in a bad matchup against the Lakers if they get through game seven, but for what they've done to Oklahoma City, you can see that these driving lanes that these guards have been living on all year long – like, I'm just glad you brought it up because I feel like – you know, we, we can't be doing the pot as if Houston was just eliminated. Right. Um, it's it's very realistic based on the way they've defended that they could clog Oklahoma City up again and win game seven. So I don't, I don't yeah. think that's the reason. Well, so for sure. Keep going. No, I mean, but no, it's it's a it's a completely fair point because, you know, that the Thunder just haven't been able to play the way that they have all year, which, you know, they're not like a team that like it just whips the ball around all over the place. Like their passes per game or whatever metric you want to use doesn't necessarily jump off the page, but they definitely share it more than they used to in their Westbrook-driven team. What they really have, Ryan, is they have balance. They have a lot of guys that score in double figures. They don't have, like, that one guy that rises to the top. And so, you know, with Chris Paul's nature, he doesn't want to just hammer the ball, you know, for 18 seconds and just take over games. But that's sort of what Houston's defense has has forced the Thunder to do, and they've been uncomfortable with that. And like you said, I mean, driving lanes are completely clogged. And while they don't have a rim protector, and sometimes when the Thunder are beating them, off the dribble and Houston's not controlling the ball. You see something, what you saw in game four, where Dennis Schroeder gets to the rim and scores 30 points in a playoff game. Um, that's where they're like, man, Clint Capella would have been pretty nice back there. But in the games that Houston's played well, they've controlled the ball and that hasn't been an issue. And the Thunder have struggled with that. So look, I, I think with Chris Paul, it's like, you know, he, he you're asking him to step outside of his comfort zone sometimes. Look, he's, he's maybe the most intelligent player in the game. It's, it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing, but I do think he kind of fights that battle of like, I don't want to just be out here, you know, pulling it 26 times. I got to make sure I keep Schroeder involved. I got to keep SGA involved, Steven Adams involved. And and then Chris Paul sort of tries to, you know, that's why he led the league in clutch time scoring. He picks that spot to say, 
all right, this is the time where I'm going to kind of take this thing over. Let's go back to the Paul Harden thing. Do you have any insight, any good stories for us? Because I have, I have something that I'll, I'll share with you on the breakup. I think we all know that the breakup was because Harden wanted Russ, so then ownership wanted Russ. I don't believe yeah. management wanted Russ. And then that led to Paul bouncing. Um, from what I had heard is that, you know, Paul was like, people that think I'm toast, like, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, Paul, I, I think one of Paul's biggest frustrations with Harden was how can you be off the ball and then com- be completely disengaged every every possession? When it's not you, there's no action. There's no threat. Yeah. And Harden's argument is, well, I, I, keep, I keep the defense stretched because of my range. Um, and it's just two different philosophies. It's just not the way Paul plays it. And I think that's what was really frustrating for Paul on the way out. And the fact that basically Harden kind of like chose Westbrook over him. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was that, that, you know, I, I think that it is complete truth. Daryl Morey was not like, he did not do a 180 necessarily. He, he believed that he was going to keep, I would bet any amount of money in my life that one day when Daryl Morey writes the book, he'll, he'll say that Westbrook was not his kind of guy. But, right. You know, oh, people I can agree. do whatever they yeah. want. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you've heard the same things I think I've heard, Ryan, that that was an ownership driven decision because it was a James Harden driven decision. And so, you know, Daryl Morey's got to do what he's got to do there. And look, I think to their credit, they they made it work for the most part. And they did. It's unbelievable. Like when you think well, at the beginning of the year, Westbrook looked like, oh, my God, this is never going to work to the what, what they did to fix him. It was unbelievable. So they deserve yeah, credit look, for it. Took, it took measures, right? I mean, you had to trade yeah. one of your best players to unlock the potential of Russell Westbrook. And I think that kind of demonstrates the challenge of building a team around a player like Westbrook, a ball-dominant player that can't shoot. Um, but, you know, within the context of, like, Houston's season, whatever happens in a Game 7, like, it can't be lost on people that before the shutdown, like, Westbrook was playing maybe the best, like, at least in terms of efficiency, Seriously. basketball yeah. of his career. Like he, he was on another nuts. level in terms of like his discipline. I've never seen the guy resist three pointers the way that he did basically from Christmas day on when the warriors were like, please shoot as many threes as you would like. And Westbrook then adjusted himself. The Rockets made the trade and he, he essentially just abandoned the three and became the player that everybody's been like, yes, that guy that like is disciplined, efficient, and he's a monster at the rim. And he might have been the MVP if he had had like a full season yeah. of post Capella. I mean, it was. I'm glad you brought it up because I can sound very anti Russ, but what he was doing in those two months, I mean, he was carrying because Harden had like a weird dip for one of those mm-hmm. months too. And when, I don't, I might pull it up. Was Westbrook at almost 30 shots a game? I mean, it was, <laughs> it, it, it was. Out. Go ahead. I mean, you keep talking. You could, but say, you could just say that, and, and I don't think anybody's going to necessarily fact check you. I mean, here's one for somebody to fact check me on. I believe Westbrook, it was either January or February. This was so long ago. He had a 50% field goal percentage month. And I think that was the first time in his career he'd gone a whole month hitting 50% of his shots, which is, you know, not a not an incredible achievement for most players, but for Westbrook, it kind of was. It was kind of like a big deal that he was able to go through a whole month and stay that disciplined and that efficient. And, you know, I mean, look, it had it had Houston looking like the kind of team that everybody thought that they might be when they made that pairing. Yeah, he was at 20, just under 26 shots a game. Um, but he also got to the free throw line. And that's the other thing, too, is his free throw shooting dipped oddly. And then he, he straightened that out. I mean, those two months, 33, 8 and 8 on 52 percent shooting from the floor, 77 percent from the free throw line, seven attempts a game. and then. In February, actually, I mean, it was happening kind of post 
because Capella was was still around a little bit for there. Um, and then for February, yeah, he's thirty three. Like, February, maybe? February fourth, yeah. was it? Uh, he didn't play. I don't think he played in the Pelicans game, which is the beginning. And the only reason I know this is because I, I have gone back and looked at the Capella, basically the equator of the season for the team of mm-hmm. like when they when they traded him. But he actually hadn't played in some of those other games because I would always check the rebounding rate. I checked the defensive efficiency. I've been incredibly impressed with their their defense. Uh, I've been, you know, the the whole the bigs are going to beat him up. I actually do want to do this because. We all like Steven Adams. I kind of went off on Sunday's pod with Bill because I found him playing surprisingly small in game five. Yeah. Where I don't know. This is a whole nother theory too. Did Westbrook get him to the point where every time he had the ball, he thought he had to immediately kick it out to somebody else? <laughs> because I... Stockholm Syndrome, he sees Russ on the floor right, and he's like... Right. <laughs> Am I supposed to rebound? I, and, right, and PJ... Russ is like, is it cool if I grab this? <laughs> PJ absolutely battles, so I'm not acting like it's easy, but I thought Adam's aggressiveness in game six was almost him realizing game five is not who he's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, that's something that, that coming into this series, Ryan, that like everybody looked at Steven Adams. He's maybe the strongest guy in the entire league. He's an absolute brute. Um, and people kind of saw that as with his offensive rebounding ability. Look, they're not just going to hammer him in the post like, you know, 15 times. That's not what they do. It's not Steven Adams' string. But they thought that he could be kind of a physically dominant player in a lot of different ways. And, I mean, other than, like you mentioned, Ryan, game six, I don't know that we've really felt Steven Adams' like dominance, like his physical dominance in a lot of ways in this. Look, totally. there's some unseen things like where he's kind of a deterrent for James Harden going to the rim, you know, 40 times a game. But, like, he's... Adams is not a shot blocker. That's not his game. He's a position-oriented uh, big man. He just tries to make sure that he makes right decisions on defense. Um, but he's not. He just. He really wasn't like making his presence felt in a lot of different ways. And look, that was a huge frustration, I think, for a lot of Thunder fans that were watching it, wondering like, what is going on? Why is Stephen Adams not imposing his will in this game? Um, but you saw some more of that in Game Six. I don't know if it was that little issue he had with Dennis Schroeder there. I don't know if it was James Harden. Uh, elbowing him in the tummy, which seemed to hurt pretty bad. But uh, whatever it was seemed to kind of get Steven Adams going, and, and he was certainly more impactful in Game 6. Okay, your thoughts for Game 7? Man, I don't know. It's, it's, such a, it's such a bizarre series where, like, you know, obviously the formula's been the Rockets win by double figures and just keep the Thunder arms length away. And then the games that are close, Oklahoma City clearly is kind of showing their prowess and execution down the stretch and winning plays. Well, isn't that, it's just like such a flip-flop to be like, Oklahoma City is like this well-organized crunch time execution team, but that's what Chris Paul's turned them into. Um, I mean, common sense says that game seven is going to be close, right, Ryan? I mean, that's what it's typically you don't blow people out in a game seven. It's tight, it's close, it's tense. So I think that that favors Oklahoma City. I picked the Thunder in seven before the before the playoffs started. And I just, I think if this game is close and it's tight, unless, you know, Harden kind of snaps out of it and really tries to, to take over down the stretch. I, I just, I think that there's enough history there to say that you got to think that Chris Paul is going to figure out a way to win a, a close game seven. All right. Good stuff, man. Uh, enjoy game seven and the rest of the playoffs. We'll talk to you again. Are right, you bet, man?
We're going to talk fantasy here shortly. Um, again, thanks to Royce Young. Whoop is a fitness wearable that I've been using for the last few months to track my training, sleep, and recovery. And it's been awesome. The key to Whoop is that you wear it all day long and never miss a beat. They have a really smart charging system where their battery pack slides right on top of the strap so you never have to take it off to charge. You won't ever have to worry about losing a night of sleep or missing a workout. Whoop has been all over the news lately after the PGA Tour procured 1,000 straps for its golfers, caddies, and staff to help everyone at tournaments stay safe throughout the pandemic. Whoop has been using respiratory rate to help members detect potential signs of illness before other symptoms develop. With Whoop, you receive workout goals from its strain coach that pairs your recovery to a certain strain level. If your body's recovering, you're going to want to take a rest day. If you're going to go, what's better than that, huh? If you're just at home and then you're like, Ah, man, I got all this stuff to do. And then Whoop's like, no, dude, rest day. Strain level's too high. You don't even know that could be coming. That would be great. Say to the old lady, sorry, today's a rest day. Ask Whoop. People don't refer to their wives as old ladies much anymore. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that one out there. Stop overtraining and start catering your workouts to your body's recovery. You can track your stages of sleep down to the minute each morning. Check out how much REM or deep sleep you get from the previous night and actually understand how well you're sleeping and not just how many hours that you were in bed for whoop custom tailors its sleep recommendations to each member based on their baselines and how active they were during the day with whoop you're really getting a personal trainer on your wrist that helps you learn your body and make smarter lifestyle choices for my listeners whoop is offering 50 percent off with the code rusillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o at checkout go to whoop that's w-h-o-o-p.com and enter rusillo r-u-s-s-i-l-l-o at checkout to save 50 percent sleep better recover faster and train smarter optimize your performance with whoop okay we said at the top we're going to do fantasy sleepers we have 10 fantasy sleepers with danny kelly you can follow him at danny b kelly and he's also the host of the ringer fantasy football show with danny heifetz and craig horlbeck i was checking out what they were doing um earlier this week so Let's start with, I know I want to do sleepers. That's That was the homework assignment because everybody <laughs> texts me all the time. They'd be like, hey, do you have any sleepers? Do you have any sleepers? And then it's kind of funny too because I'll be like, you know who I loved in college was Clyde Edwards Alaire. And then you're like, oh, wait, he might go number one overall, which seems <laughs> insane. So yeah. he's, it's kind of funny how fantasy will turn me from somebody like, I really like this guy. And I'll tell my buddies to be like, wait a minute, how do you take this guy? And again, he's not going number one. I think what is that is <laughs> his draft average is between like six or seven, but I know Schrager had said he thought he should take him number one. I know Peter yep. King said that he's going to touch the ball. These basically, we have reporters now claiming that the team is telling NFL guys that Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to be the greatest thing ever this season. <laughs> so where are you yep. with a dude who I like a lot, but think this is sort of insane. Uh, I'm actually, I'm coming around on the idea. I actually got him listed as my wide or my running back five right now. Um, I'm not quite willing to take him over Kamara, Elliott, Barkley, McCaffrey, but right now with Dalvin Cook potentially holding out, you know, Derrick Henry, not necessarily a big part of the passing game. I just think, you know, in that offense, you're going to be in the most explosive, best offense in the NFL with the, like the best quarterback, um, who, and he's been a huge, huge part of the passing game. He was at LSU, um, just a really good player. So, I just think there's a lot to like. You know, Andy Reid has always been a guy who's really featured a, a top running back in, in his running game, and it's always paid off in fantasy. So, um, you know, there's just there's just nothing to really not like about it. He's a first-round pick. Offense is awesome. He's a good player. Uh, that's kind of what you're looking for. Yep, not arguing against him. I guess I just 
when I've seen somebody like Christian McCaffrey do what he's done already in the NFL, <laughs> yeah, that's that's. And true. again, I I think I'm I'm doing a bit of an argument here that doesn't exist too much in that. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think there's a ton of people actually saying he should go number one overall. Okay, uh, another one that I had for you that I thought was kind of interesting. Do you have at this point with the depth of receiver versus running back? I know that things have fluctuated a bit where running backs used to be when I grew up, you had to have one of those guys mm-hmm. and then the position changed and then you started drafting guys that weren't getting a ton of touches and then it felt like everybody started drafting wide receivers earlier and now with the depth at wide receiver because everyone is passing, are we back to basically the entire first round is running backs again because it's so hard to find a guy, especially now that gets at least 20 carries a game. Yeah, I, I that's where I am really, honestly. It's... You know, there's just so few guys that get three down workloads in, in terms of running backs that you have to get those guys early. And it's very, very difficult, honestly, to win a league without one of those guys. Like Christian McCaffrey carried fantasy teams last year. Um, I think Saquon Barkley could be that guy again this year. And it's just, again, it's just really difficult to find those guys outside of the first round. That's where they come from typically. And so, um, you know, like you, like you alluded to, with so many teams running three receiver sets, um, passing the ball more, there's just more guys, more receivers that you can get a little bit later on in the draft. And there's honestly like just it feels like there's more really good receivers in the NFL right now than there have been in years past. It's just a the position is in a really good place right now. A lot of talented guys. And so, yeah, I'm I'm of the mind that I take a running back early, um, sometimes even go running back, running back to start my draft, because then you're just set at that position. You don't have to worry about, you know, finding a guy later in the draft that you know, most likely isn't really going to pan out for you. So, um, yeah, I, I go with receivers in the, in the you know, third, fourth, fifth round, but early on, I'm definitely targeting running backs. So what's your top 10 then? Right now, and this is subject to change a little bit based on holdouts and stuff, but I got McCaffrey one, Barkley two, Elliott three, Alvin Kamara four, and then I got Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, because those guys are just rock-solid receivers. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire at 7, Dalvin Cook 8, Derrick Henry 9, Julio Jones at 10, Tyreek Hill at 11, and Austin Eckler at 12, actually. Okay, Mahomes, you don't have any quarterbacks you just listed there. Uh, Yeah. I I see some places, it depends on the draft ring. Like, I've seen Mahomes ahead of Lamar, but then I've also seen other analysts say, no, you got to go with Lamar because of the rushing attack but yet we already have a team saying that we don't really want to run him as much as we do. How much is that factored into if you're sitting there, all the running backs are gone, Thomas, Devontae are gone, and you're thinking, all right, let me just go grab the best quarterback early here. What do you think about Lamar versus Mahomes? I've got I've got Lamar slightly ahead of Mahomes, and like you mentioned, it's the rushing upside that he brings. It's just like a cheat code in fantasy football. Um, you got you know rushing touchdowns, are worth in standard leagues are worth you know two more points than a passing touchdown so that's a little bit of a cheat code rushing yards are worth more than passing yards so um you know jackson's just a special case you know he might not have to run as much as he did last year um and he could still lead quarterbacks in rushing by a country mile um so to me he's really really valuable as a quarterback i'm though i'm not really in on taking in one quarterback leagues i wait on quarterback i get quarterbacks late i let other guys in the league um, choose a, a quarterback that early because I think the opportunity cost is just too much to grab those guys that early on. I just I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer in late round quarterbacks, so I wait on quarterbacks generally speaking. Okay, we'll get to some of those sleepers like we said a little bit earlier. I've seen this one is confusing to me, and this is more on I understand the upside part of it, but 
whenever I would draft, I would kind of sit with my friends and it's kind of like the Edwards Alaire thing where I'd be like, the new guy smell, you guys can't help yourselves. So I've <laughs> seen a lot of people have Kyler Murray ranked ahead of Deshaun, even though overall Deshaun is generally drafted about a round before Kyler. Uh, I went through the numbers again. I mean, Deshaun steady uh, and he has about the same amount of rushing not, I mean, look, the, the rushing numbers are, are about the same, except for the fact that Deshaun had seven touchdowns to Kyler's four. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just building on Kyler. Kyler, Deshaun, go. I like I like Deshaun slightly more. I've actually got Deshaun QB four, Kyler Murray QB five. And I agree with you. I think, you know, Deshaun, he's done it longer in the league. Um, I think a lot of people are scared off by kind of the wheeling and dealing that Bill O'Brien has done over the offseason. Getting rid of uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a big one, but... Um, he's just such a baller. He's, he's going to, I think he's going to be okay. And in fact, they might ask him to do a little bit more, which might be good for fantasy purposes for him. So, um, you know, Kyler Murray definitely does have that upside, but I think he's still, you know, finding his way in the NFL. He's certainly not as established as a passer as Deshaun is. So yeah, I'm definitely, I I would have Watson above Murray, but I think Murray is definitely an exciting one. And and if he does end up rushing more this year, that could definitely put him over the top. But for now, I I feel safer picking Deshaun Watson. The top two tight ends are Kelsey averaging just about the back end of the second round, some third round, and then Kittle a little bit behind that. But boy, this really feels like it falls off. Um, Mark Andrews had nice numbers last year, but they're not off the charts. I think people are, understandably scared off a of Gronk a little bit, but the depth from whatever the first tier is to the second tier, there's some, the second tier, I'm talking the the tight ends that would go kind of like three to seven or eight. There, it still feels like there's massive risk there. So how have you handled that position? Yeah. Um, my philosophy with the tight end position is either go big or go like go big in terms of like Kelsey and Kittle early on or I I tend to like to take, you know, shots on a few guys late in the draft. So, um, you know, I, I really like, I'm actually kind of in on Gronk this year. <laughs> I don't know if that's just, I don't really blame na- you. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's naive necessarily, but man, the dude is just, he, he's absolutely ridiculous in the red zone. So he could like have 10, 10 touchdowns and it, I wouldn't blink. So taking a shot on a guy like Gronk later on in the draft, TJ Hawkinson has just been blowing up Lions camp. Like the, the beat reporters can't stop talking about how good Hawkinson has been in Lions camp. So I think he's really interesting. Um, Noah Fant kind of, he was really exciting as a rookie. Like he was one of a few guys to put up, you know, I think 500 plus yards as a rookie. It's just like a rare thing to do. So I think he's got a really interesting trajectory. So there's just a lot of really um, intriguing later round tight ends that I'd rather take a couple of those light later in my draft. And again, you're not having the opportunity cost of getting one of these really interesting mid round receivers versus, you know, one of those mid round um, tight ends. Like I, I agree with you. I think there's just a lot of question marks around guys like Darren Waller, who might have a much smaller role in the Raiders offense, Evan Ingram, who has struggled with injuries all career. So yeah, we're like um, waiting on Ingram. I mean, I loved Ingram yeah. in college. Um, and fans, another guy that I really liked in college too, but that doesn't mean, uh, anything for your fantasy draft. All right. So let's get a little bit more helpful here. Um, like I said, this is going to be about sleepers here. So why don't you run us through, I'll just kind of go, we'll go one at a time and we'll kick it back and forth on your 10 favorite sleepers for uh, people still doing their draft. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off with Marvin Jones of the lions. 
through 14 weeks last year, Jones was the wide receiver 16. So like a mid-range wide receiver too. And that included five games with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. I mean, the guy is... David Blau, yeah. Yeah, he is. he's super underrated. Right now, he's going as the wide receiver 36 for some reason. Um, so I think that's a really good value. I'm actually a believer in the in the Matt Stafford, Daryl Bevel offense with the Lions. I think they do a good job of attacking downfield. So um, Marvin Jones, you can get in like the seventh, eighth round. Um, feels like a really great value. All right, next. Jamison Crowder of the Jets. And I'm not a big believer in the Jets offense necessarily, but I just think Crowder is going to get so much volume. Uh, right now he's going as the wide receiver 39. Last year, if you remember, so in week one, he had 17 targets, which was most in the NFL, 14 catches for 99 yards. And that's probably going to be like a typical stat line for him. Not a lot of like, you know, 190 yard games or anything like that. But he's getting so many catches in PPR that I think he's worthwhile. He's a wide receiver 12 week one. And then Darnold missed weeks two, uh, two through five with mono and he kind of fell off the map. But week six on, he was the wide receiver 15 in PPR. So right now he's going as a wide receiver 39. The Jets don't have anyone else in that passing game right now. Um, Rashad Perriman's dealing with a knee injury. Denzel Mims, their rookie, is has been out. And now we even heard that uh, you know Chris Herndon, tight end, who's gotten a lot of hype during the preseason, got hurt today in practice. So um, yeah, I think he's going to have you know that connection with Darnold, and he just has a chance to really go off this year in terms of catches. Do you think Robbie Anderson moving on too opens that up for him? Or yeah, absolutely. They, there's a lot of available, you know, targets in that offense, and they just really, again, they don't have anyone else right now. It's just it's going to be Crowder and then a bunch of other like no name guys. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. Average round around 14. So, all right, yeah. that's two. Um, I'm interested in Sterling Shepard of the Giants right now. So he's another guy that I think is kind of um, been forgotten about a little bit because he missed some time last year missed week six through 11 um but the dude got 83 targets in 10 games so he's getting eight plus targets a game uh daniel jones has a chance to take another jump in year two um golden tate just got hurt this week in, in practice so that kind of opens up sterling Shepard as the clear number one in this offense i think you know darius slayton's a guy who's been interesting but he's not quite here yet. So um, Sterling Shepard feels at 10. He's right now his ADP is 101. He's the wide receiver 42. Um, that just, again, really good value. I don't want to try to destroy your entire credibility 15 minutes in here, but you're not a Giants fan, are you? <laughs> I am not. Okay. I'm not. Right. I just, I'm just sensing the little giant. Where, what is your, uh, what is your allegiance? Uh, I'm a Seahawks fan. Oh, okay. All right. We're good. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you're good at trying to find receivers out of nowhere then. You've, you've lived with it. So <laughs> I, now, I, yeah. now I trust you more. All right, keep going. <laughs> All right, sticking with receivers, Preston Williams of the Dolphins, I think is going to have a really good year. So, you know, that's an offense that there's a lot of question marks, obviously, but um, Williams is a guy who he was, a, he was like a first-round talent that fell in the draft because of kind of off-field stuff, but... Um, through nine weeks last year before he tore his ACL, he was basically going like head to head with Devontae Parker in terms of his production. Um, Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson both opted out this year. So there's just a lot of targets to go around in this Dolphins offense. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, his style of play has always been really good for fantasy. So I don't think the Dolphins are going to be a good defense. So they're probably going to have to be passing the ball a bunch. I just think Preston Williams is a, he's a good player. Um, and he has a chance to have a lot of volume, too. And right now, he's the wide receiver 51. So um, you have a chance to get a guy who I think could really 
challenge to be like a wide receiver two this year in terms of fantasy. All right, that's a good one. I didn't even think of that. I'm going to go to a couple quarterbacks here. Uh, I really think Jared Goff is going to have a bounce back. I don't know what you think about the Rams, but I feel like they're a prime bounce back team with, with Sean McVay kind of figuring things out. He has, to me, the easiest path back to being a top 10 quarterback this year. He was the QB 13 last year. He was the QB 7 in 2018. So he's done it. Um, last year, this is kind of getting stat heavy, but last year he he threw the ball more than any other quarterback in the NFL, but his touchdown percentage ranked 28th. It was just 3.5%. So typically with quarterbacks, those those numbers tend to hover around his career average. Last two seasons before that, it was 5.7, 5.9. So long story short, I'm expecting Goff to throw more touchdowns this year, be a little bit more efficient. I think the Rams offense is going to be better. And right now you can get him as the QB 16 in the middle rounds or in, in the late rounds, really. Um, and I think he has a chance to be a top 10 quarterback. Okay, that surprised me a little bit, you know, because I felt like in a way, you're right, like that number's a bit like the turnover number where you go, you'd expect this to even out or come back to the norm yeah. if there's a, there's a weird spike. I mean, it's not exactly as unpredictable as a turnover number um, that we see with teams every year. But I'm I'm more in the camp of like, I, I feel like golf got figured out a little bit. Mm. And so are you telling me if nine quarterbacks were gone, you would take him 10th? Or there's still guys that you would take ahead of him? No, there's there's still guys I would take ahead of him. But with my strategy, which I which I mentioned earlier, I, I like to take a quarterback late. I think he could easily outplay his his draft spot. In other words, um, there's definitely quarterbacks I like a little bit more than him. Um, but to me, he just looks like one of the best values. Like right now, you can get him, you know, in the eleventh, twelfth round, and you know. Having a, having a chance to get like fill out your roster with a bunch of really high upside guys earlier than that, and then also having a chance to get a, a QB1 in Goff, who I think will be a QB1, um, I think that's a really good strategy in your draft. Okay, would you take him or Carson? I got Carson ahead of him, but I think I would wait and take Goff. I'd rather wait and take Goff. What about Cam? Ooh, so I think Cam's actually kind of in the same area. Um, he might be going a little bit later. I don't have his ADP right in front of me, but Newton has that rushing upside that you really look for. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say Goff, but I'm also a Cam fan this year. I think I, I like Cam. I think he's gonna have a chance to get like five or six rushing touchdowns and really help his his value in fantasy. Yeah, based on the average draft position that I have in front of me. And I'll just go over it real quick for, for sure. those that may not have looked it up. Um, Mahomes, Lamar, Russell Wilson. I, I think the Lamar-Mahomes thing has been flipped, though. Um, recent, more recently, I don't know. People are getting scared off and just news reports there. All right, so let's do that again. Mahomes, Lamar, Wilson, Deshaun, Dak, Kyler, Wentz, um, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Josh Allen, um, because of the rushing part of it. And mm -hmm. then that's pretty much whatever tiers you want to do in there. Uh, the draft position is a there's a massive gap right now. What's going on between Josh Allen and then the next guy, whether that's Stafford or Cam Newton? We're talking maybe four rounds of players going yeah. based on just the national drafting average here. Uh, I'm sure you can find something that's a little bit different, but that's pretty significant to see a position basically stop for about four rounds and then pick it back up again. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I'm doing. I'd rather get. I'd rather fill out positions, and, th and this is specific to one quarterback league. So if you're starting one quarterback, 
Um, I'd rather fill out positions like running back and receiver where you need to start two or three guys at that spot. Um, so that's why I'm attacking tight end. I'm attacking receiver. Um, I'm attacking running back and then waiting on, on quarterback. Maybe I'll grab two quarterbacks in the late rounds. Maybe I'll grab Goff and Cam. Or, you know, I like Stafford too. I think Stafford has a chance to really, you know, outplay what his ADP is right now. So um, that's definitely the way I go about it. All right. Who else? Uh, another quarterback that I'd like really late is Joe Burrow, rookie with the Bengals, who, Heard of look, he is, you know, potentially, ha- he put up probably the best quarterback season in college football history last year the guy just ice in his veins he's got like the brady affect to him he just doesn't get he doesn't get phased ever um so i really like that i think he's got some talent around him you know like you got aj green coming back by the way it looks like i was looking at the draft position for green it looks like people are just off him yeah i mean i look i understand the injury and everything but it it still felt low for him or maybe that's just because i've always loved him so much i don't know i'm with you i I like green he's actually a guy i'm targeting um people are definitely scared of the injury history hasn't played a full season in a few years um i think he's already got something going on hamstring or something in in (laughs) camp so people are definitely uh, like scared off by that but man i'm kind of excited about it because you get joe burrow in there who just has no fear um Last year, Kyler Murray finished as the QB7. And I kind of see that as a good spot that I could I could li- realistically visualize Joe Burrow finishing as a top seven, top six quarterback. Um, I think he's going to be a more efficient and aggressive thrower as a rookie than Kyler was. And honestly, he might run nearly as much as Kyler did as a rookie. So I'm going to throw some stats at you. Kyler averaged 34 rushing yards a game last year. Um you know, his that, actual he, yards, he has a lot of rushes. The yardage wasn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he was scrambling a little bit. You know, it, it wasn't like they used him heavily as a runner. So 34 rushing yards a game. Compare that to uh, Joe Burrow as a junior, averaged 30.6 rushing yards a game. As a senior, he averaged 25 rushing yards a game. So he's he's quietly a really good runner. He's more quietly, of a... Very quietly. <laughs> he's he's got sneaky running skills. He does. He's, it's just something about him. We just can't <laughs> figure out why is it that he seems appears to be more athletic. Uh, look, he's he's a baller. He's he's all of those yeah. things. I, we all know what the Burrow deal is, and he still went one with the fact that there's basically every guy he threw to is a high end NFL prospect, and you know. But look, the offensive line for LSU wasn't rock solid all year long they grew they became a group that was that was better but early on I thought that might be an issue with them and he he can run all over the place and he's look he's not afraid of anybody so he's got all that stuff uh going for him absolutely okay Danny give me uh your rapid fire last few here yeah so these are late round guys don't yell at me if they don't pan out but I really like them (laughs) as like sleepers you know potentially guys that can really outplay where they're getting drafted so I'm gonna start with Raheem uh sorry running back Naheem Hines from Indianapolis uh pair him he's got 438 speed you pair him with Philip Rivers who has been a dump off king in the NFL um I think there's a chance that he could be sort of the Eckler not the Eckler light for the Colts offense this, this year. And so in, in PPR leagues, especially, I think he's really interesting. James Washington of the Steelers, who quietly had a really good second half of the season last year. He's been getting some good buzz in Steelers camp right now. Deontay Johnson's been hurt. So I think he could emerge as the number two option in that offense. Steven Sims for Washington, who 
emerged late last season as a really dynamic slot receiver for Washington. I think he's got some good chemistry with Haskins. I think he has potential to way outplay his ADP. Right now, he's the wide receiver 81, which makes no sense. He was the he was the wide receiver 9 in PPR in the last month of the season. So, And then one more guy, Scotty Miller for the Buccaneers. Been getting a lot of love from Tom Brady. He's the fastest guy on the team, according to Chris Godwin. He ran a 4.36 at his pro day. Um, so he's kind of an inside-outside really speedy guy. Um, people kind of envision him as the John Brown in, in this Bruce Arians offense. So he's he's really interesting, really, really late too. Scotty Miller, yeah. 5'11", 174 at a bowling green. Bowling green, baby. He he put up good numbers. He, put, he got 71 catches and nine touchdowns over 1,000 yards in senior year at bowling green. So he's a baller. I Are you sure... Brady just doesn't think it's Welker or something. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the obvious joke. He, he's like exactly right. that that he fits that mold. But the cool thing about him is he actually plays on the outside too, um, which is important because they're probably going to be playing a lot of two tight end sets, so he can get downfield as a deep threat in that offense. Obviously okay, but the defense. See, that's uh, and we'll leave with this. And I, I'm sorry that I interrupted, but no, when I was looking at some of the stuff, like I still think Brady made all of his money on those those like pivot routes inside oh, yeah. so if his miller has the speed and he can go down the field like you're still going to want somebody like once the pats figured out the rules and you couldn't just tackle the guy off these short little <laughs> routes like that's just what they yeah. did so yeah. I, I don't know I, I i know how everybody's excited about all these outside and deep ball threats and arians thing i don't know that that's what brady wants to do so we'll yeah. see I mean, obviously he's got godwin and and godwin's awesome from the slot but miller's actually been getting an incredible amount of buzz. I'm probably overplaying it a little bit, but um, like people are really excited about Bucks Camp about this guy because he's separating over the middle. He can get deep, all that stuff. So um, he's he's a he's an intriguing late round guy. Good stuff. That is Danny Kelly at Danny B Kelly, and again, uh, staff writer here in the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, which is really good. You should check it out. And subscribe. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, before we get to life advice, the NBA playoffs are here, and FanDuel Sportsbook has a slam dunk offer you won't want to miss. Right now, new users can get special plus 2,000 odds on any team to make the NBA Finals. Just pick any team. Again, you pick any of the teams that are remaining, you're getting plus 2,000 on them just to get to the NBA Finals. That's insane. Um, then you can bet 10 bucks for every chance to win 200 if they make it. So that's exactly what I just said. And that was freelancing. And then they had the part of the read where it actually told you the payout. So this offer is even available on favorites like the Bucks and Lakers. So there you go. You're going to get plus 2,000 on these teams. It actually makes a lot of sense to just go ahead and do this. Uh, I think at this point, um, not just because the Bucks are down 0-1. Uh, I would, yeah, I would throw a tenner on uh, Lake Show. Mr. 405 over here. Okay, and uh, if you pick correctly, FanDuel is going to get you that payout in as little as 24 hours. I cannot express that enough, how important that is. There's places over the years, it was just, you couldn't get your payouts. It's massive hassle. They know what they're doing. They're messing with you. FanDuel doesn't do that, okay? It's easy to use. Deposit options. Uh, it's a brand you trust. We're aligned with them. Other places are aligned with FanDuel. So you know that they're going to take care of you. Types of bets, promotions available um, for new and existing users. So check out all the promo stuff they have by downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with the promo code RYAN. That's R-Y-E-N so they know that I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code RYAN. 
FanDuel Sportsbook. More ways to win. Must be 21 or older. Present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, West Virginia, or Indiana. New users only. Must wager on designated boost market. Max bonus is $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. That's www.1800GAMBLER.net. Or in Indiana, call one 800 Nine with it. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we do life advice, I just wanted to share something with you that is. A Madden code for PS4, FQ9J-4ANK-75B4. See how that goes over. All right, we're going to be doing Madden codes uh, for the next few shows. Okay, first one here on life advice. Um, I don't think I'm going to use names. I guess I did a, I used a name in one of the other ones, and the guy, uh, Kyle, had sent me a follow-up email from the guy, and I appreciate you doing that, Kyle. Um, where he was like, yeah, I shouldn't, you shouldn't have done the last name. I'm like, well, you know, I actually, I edit out some of the stuff you guys say just to edit. Okay. This is, um, I don't, I don't let's, let's just call him. I don't know. Steve used to always be my go-to name, Steve, uh, from flight of the Concords. Okay. Here's a dude. Hey, Ryan, 21 year old college student from Oklahoma. Here's my situation. By the way, this may come off as a little douchey. All right. Okay. A buddy of mine, let's call him Matt, had a high school girlfriend that he dated through the first two years of college. He's a really cool guy, but he can be on the sensitive side of things and always seemed more into the relationship than she was. They ended up breaking up. Kyle, are you already chuckling over there? Or was that just a sound effect? All right. I feel like I got a... All right, we get a fake Kyle soundtrack here, laugh track. All right, so they ended up breaking up. He started dating a new girl that he met at a party one month later. Sick party, dude. Basically, another one of my college buddy's girlfriends. Okay, hold on. I, whenever I feel like I got to write this whole out. Basically, another one of my college buddy's girlfriends. All right, so his boy's girl is best friends with the ex, and she decides to tell me that Matt's ex has been into me for a while and wants me to make a go of it. I've heard the bros before. Dude language um saying and under normal circumstances the answer would be obvious to stay away the problem is that matt's ex is a smoke show all right so we already know what our boy is going to do on this one okay so matt is a year older he's been nothing but good to me and has a lot of connections he's a prototypical guy you want to know especially with having to step foot in the real world in two years he and his ex broke up over a year ago I feel like he's moved on but i'm not sure about going after her based primarily off my future career um all right, you're overthinking this. My other friends think I'm crazy for not going for it, but I typically err on the side of caution. Unfortunately, the girl is sort of my dream girl. All right, we already know what he's doing. This email is already too late. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I do not know how to execute the situation properly. Advice would be greatly appreciated. Okay, let's start first with like mystery Matt here running your career. Chances are Matt's going to actually, with all of his connections and being a year older, I would bet that your life is not going to be determined by Matt unless <laughs> you're help. the right, unless you're the two only like neurophysicists at Oklahoma and he already like he has a startup and he's offered you a salary. So yes, he's older and yes, he has connections now. 
at least you think he does. Um, you know, maybe he comes from this great family, whatever. But more often than not, whenever you think you have some connect, and it's going to lead to like things in your life later on, um, and that's that's just part of life. The number of times you think something is going to happen that doesn't happen is like it's a it's a very very big number, and that's why whenever you say to your parents, like, hey, you know, Dave's got this awesome opportunity. Uh, you know, and like I did it with my dad. I'd call and be like, "Hey, I think we're gonna buy this thing," and be like, "Ah, yeah, cool, cool. Let me know." Yep, were you guys drinking when you guys planned this out? And like, um, yeah, a little bit. You know, so I'm just telling you, don't start worrying about Matt's um, <laughs> influence on your career. All right, but you left out that part of the information. Okay, so let's get back to the. I think it's cool that you care this much. I think it's cool. Most guys wouldn't even care. Um, I think it's the fact that you're you have a conscious about this is, is something that's, that's really good. What you'd like to do is continue to have that attribute and not decide, you know what, I'm just going to become a mercenary and I don't want to have feelings anymore because that can happen to people too. Um, I would ask him if it, if you're that worried about it, cause you don't know, like he may, cause guys are different. He may be one of those guys. It's like, yeah, dude, I moved on like fair game. Doesn't matter. Or he could be like one of those guys that goes, you know, any girl that I've ever dated, I still kind of consider mine and I don't want any of my friends <laughs> ever dating any of them. Okay. Because let's, 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 let's be honest. There's a lot of those guys too. Um, what, what you don't want to do. And we, we had, we had a guy in our group of friends who basically went after everybody's girlfriend and, you know, years later, it still kind of sucks for that guy. Cause those of us that were burned by him are always like, you know, it could be 90% cool, but I think there's like a 10% part of where a lot of us are like, yeah, you know, whatever. If that guy doesn't make it, no one cares. Or, hey, who's out tonight? Or who's in town? Who's around? Oh, he is? Eh, whatever. Like, I guess I meet up, but I don't like, never going to check in with you anymore. And that means that you probably weren't super close in the first place. But what I'm saying is, is you don't want to be the guy among your group of friends that just starts going after everybody's girls, ex or in that gray area because it can really burn you later on. Like that thing I think is absolutely true. So I would, if you're that worried about it, I would just go ahead and ask him be like, look, I like her. She's kind of my dream girl. I don't know where you're at with it. I don't know if it's going to bother you, you know, whatever. But if you're, if you're not doing it because you have a conscience, that's great. If you're not doing it because you think this guy's actually going to have some massive impact on the rest of your career, then, you know, come on. And look, man, you're 21. So, uh, I don't, I don't think this is going to be, a, you know, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. Okay. We got a long one here though, but I, I thought this one was, was kind of important because it's something we haven't really touched on and this one's a little heavier. All right. So let's, uh, let's go for it. Okay. We'll call this guy the, the C man. Cause I don't, I don't really want to use the name here either. Okay. Um, he asked a few different things here, but uh, let's, let's, let's run through this. Okay. He graduated from UCSC bachelor's in philosophy in 18. So we're talking 23, 24 here. Went to law school for a year, flunked out at the end of the first year. Essentially, I smoked weed all day, every day during that year. When I wasn't smoking, I was hooping. Oh, all right. Nice. Uh, great use of time. Uh, I was in a bad place emotionally. Uh, the summer before I started law school, my mother went to jail for an erroneous charge of domestic violence against my dad. Okay, this is this might be a oh. bit heavier for me, but I'm going to try. Uh, at the time, I was also living with a girlfriend who I now realize I let bulldoze me. 
after I got dropped from law school, that girlfriend said she didn't want to live together anymore. We broke up a few months later and she turned into a total, well, uh, I was doing the best that I could at the time. I hate when, when people say that to you. Like, why did you do all of these horrible things? Well, that was the, I, that was the best I could do at the time. I was trying my best. I'm like, that's your best. So I'm with you there, buddy. Uh, about two weeks into quarantine, she got back in touch with me. Don't they all? Um, I will bore you with a few of the details here and tell you she essentially got in touch to brag about how she'd gotten with a bunch of other dudes after we broke up and how those dudes were all, one, better at sex than me. Two, uh, I'm going to leave two out. You can fill in the blanks there. That's a comp That's a comp that uh, some guys are bummed out about. Jesus, this girl sucks. After I confront her about the fact uh, that that was kind of messed up, Especially given the fact that we dated for three years and lived together for like two and a half years. We were friends for eight years before dating. She said she just wanted to make me feel bad for me to realize what I had lost. <laughs> the notion didn't make sense to me at the time. Still doesn't make sense to me. You want to know why? Because it's fucking psycho. All right. So don't. I mean, you're going to be mummed out. You cared about this person. And now she's just. But the fact that somebody is doing this to you and wants to make you feel bad um, is only telling you. She's confirming to you that you dodged a massive, massive bullet. So you should feel good about that, even if it's really hard to feel good about it right now. Um, as if I don't already sound whacked enough, I'm now living at my mother's. While I'm grateful I have a place to live, I get bad vibes from both my mom and my sister. My mom often dumps her negative emotions onto me, be it about her divorce with my father, who's a jerk, or the stress uh, my mom has in dealing with my sister, uh, regrets she has about the past. I realized that a large part of the reasons as to why this dynamic exists between my mom and I when I was in high school and community college, I took my mom to her appointments and often spent several hours each day talking about her problems. I'm trying to change that dynamic and build a healthy relationship, but it's not fully working this time. My mom and sister still hold a grudge against me for not letting them live with me um, when he lived with the ex-girlfriend because she wouldn't let him. God. After my mom was released from jail, she and my sister officially would no longer go back to our family home because my father was living there and immediately got a restraining order against my mom. I'm sorry, man. I that just sucks to even read. Okay. Uh at this stage, I also ought to discuss some five seven. Is somebody fucking with me? Give this guy, email? give this guy a Madden code right now. DM, send him a Madden code right now. Um, and I'm almost skinny fat. I feel like somebody's just all right. Okay. All right. Let's 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 <laughs> This is bad, man. All right. Um, he's skinny fat because the gyms are closed. Uh, he did want to tell us that he repped 225 for three in the flat bench and 495 on the hex bar. Nobody cares about your hex bar numbers. Um, I don't even know what this is. What the hell is minoxidil? Can you look that up? Okay. All right. As you're looking that okay. up, I'll keep reading. It's like email. I'm not. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. I'm nice at basketball and still find tremendous enjoyment in honoring that skill and playing pickup whenever possible. I can hit jumpers 40 feet out. I also have a deceptively adroit mid-range floater. Okay. Playing basketball is really one of the few activities I legitimately enjoy. However, barring some open gym D-League tryout or miraculous mid-late 20s growth spurt, I need to find work. Uh, I need to work towards finding a career that will last a lifetime. So not pro hooper. Got it. As it stands right now, Okay, wait a minute. So he's a little bit older because um, he graduated later. All right, he's 27 and planning to take a gap year. Just the thought of being in life and taking a gap year is awesome. So I kind of like your confidence that you're just like, look, I'm going to... How do you take a gap year and save a bit of money? All right, unless he's not paying for school. Okay, so at the start of the 21-22 academic year, I'll either attend law school, business school, or a doctorate program. 
in cognitive science. All of this is a roundabout way of asking, how do you deal with adversity? Or rather, how do you use negative life experiences as fuel for personal success? Also, in terms of picking a career, what is the right combo between doing what you want to do and what you need to do? All right. Okay, the C-man. lot going on there. A lot going on. But it's, his email starts essentially with kind of where he ends it, and that is how do you uh, use adversity for fuel? I know that I have... Um, used resentment and I still have a few people on my to-do list where it drives me all the time and that can be psychotic it can be whatever I don't know it's me and it's it's the way I uh I don't know no it's it's kind of hard to explain like when I think I've been fucked over the first thing I want to do is succeed and prove everybody wrong um because I've definitely had people doubt me I feel like most of my career so that's um that's like a surface level thing. That's like a quick answer. But I think there's just some other stuff going on here. And I I can't imagine how hard it would be to go through all the stuff that you mentioned. Um, but you know, look, everybody everybody deals with uh, their adversity differently. So my adversity was more of like, hey, you can't do this in my profession. This adversity is uh, you know, it's at home, it's staring you in the face. So the girl thing is out. She sounds like one of the worst people I've ever heard described. So, you know, on to the next one. I know you're probably still going to have lingering thoughts about her. You will. You obviously cared about her a lot. You lived with her for a long time. Um, so that part, you're going to have to just keep it moving. Like, can't let her mess with your head at all. She's probably, when she realizes that you're going to be moving on mentally from her, she's probably going to try to mess with you because she obviously likes to mess with you. So you have to... You have to stop that like a bad habit, okay? Like that's that's my first piece of advice on this one. The family part, it's clear that you feel um, responsible for the other family members because of the way you talked about taking care of your mother and everything that she had to go through. But there is a line where you can be so helpful that it's messing you up with your own goals over the time. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person, okay? But there, it sounds like there's, there's going to be coming a time where you can love your mom, you can love your sister, you can be supportive, but you can't be so supportive to the point where it sounds like you're pretty bummed out right now, all right? And the fear of, of long-term being bummed out, and I know with mental health and, and the awareness, which I think is great because now people are like, hey, look, I'm not alone. Other people feel this way. Um, that part of it, I think, is a really good development of the last few years. But there's... There's something about it, at least for me personally, where I'm not in a, I don't really want to hear about how bummed out everybody else is all the time. I actually don't. It, I, I think it's everybody, everybody has to, pro, like, it's not a criticism. It's just me particularly. Now, I don't know that that means that everybody has to give out their um, resume of, of their ups and downs throughout their entire life. I don't feel like doing that, but I've had my moments, um, you know, from, from right into college to beyond where, you know, whether usually for me it was something that was going on at home because that wasn't always ideal and I would would take it really hard. But the thing that I started noticing that was happening to me as I was younger is I would kind of like to be bummed out because then I felt like it gave me an excuse. It gave me an excuse to kind of be a one-way person emotionally. And that's that sucks. Like you don't want to be the person that's always upset all the time and that you're waiting to talk to a friend so you can tell them all of your problems. Um, I've had moments like that where I've been like that. And then you, you kind of forget that like these other people have shit going on. Like 
an example would be me calling Van Pelt to complain about a work thing again and venting to him. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I just like, we got another baby here right now. It's on my lap. Like, I'm sorry you're not loving the weekend schedule, but, um, you know, why don't we, why don't we check in in a couple of weeks? And you have to have some kind of self-awareness to realize, like, even though you may justifiably be upset about things, people don't always want to hear it all the time. And you can actually get to the point where you're almost happier when you're depressed because it's comforting, it's easier, it feels safe, but it also kind of gives you an excuse for your own limitations. So if things aren't working out for you in whatever aspect of life, career, personal relationships, all these things, you can go, well, you know, whatever, I'm just, I'm bummed out. So, you know, everybody just give me my space and leave me alone because I'm really upset about a bunch of things. Like I know I did it when I was in college. I did it. My parents got separated again. I had a stretch where I was, I just wasn't handling it very well, but I thought like, well, everybody has to defer to me or everybody has to be on eggshells around me because I'm the one that's upset because I'm dealing with this very significant thing, which when it's entirely selfish and you're not taking into account anybody else's feelings about any of these other things that they're doing. So I think I don't look, I get, it's just an email. Um, but don't let people, I don't know how this is going to be processed, but I think it's important to say. The final part of this is, is you can't let other people bring you so down because they're down or they want you to be where they're at. You, you can't derail your life trying to fix everyone around you. And one of the things that, that I do have a, a problem with, and I'm saying that as somebody who, you know, I, I think most of us, you, you have a awareness of things around you. Hey, I wish this were better. But when I would go through stuff, um, I would have this really fucked up view of things. Being like, well, if I'm the one that's upset, then I'm right. And that's actually not true. And what's happened is we, we talk about people's feelings so much now that sometimes, not always, but sometimes I think the person makes the mistake of thinking like, well, just because you're upset doesn't mean you're always right about everything. And that's, that's really important. So if somebody around you is, is bringing you down and then their default is, well, you know, things have been rough and you think, okay, yes, things have been rough. Things are not great. I know you're hurting. I know you don't feel great right now, but it doesn't mean that you're always right about everything. And it also doesn't mean that I need to sacrifice some of my goals to make sure that you're happier all the time. There you go. I don't know if any of that helped, but, uh, that's it. All right, let's uh, let's check back in. I think it could be Chris Long on Thursday. Not sure. Scheduled guests, Colin Cowherd, Woj, Chris Long, and others coming up the next few weeks, and Madden Codes as well. So please subscribe, rate, and review the Rhyme Podcast on the Ringer Network. Thanks.